Good morning. Did you have a good week? My week was just amazing. Uh, Mike and Doug and I, or Mike and Jason and I, were in uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, this week. And uh, we were with uh, 2,000 other uh, pastors, uh, wives, uh, our international workers from 62 countries. And uh, we were talking about what God is doing in this world. Uh, I mean, it, it really was amazing. And uh, Mike and Jason are still there. Uh, it, we kind of take turns staying for that last time and who gets to come back first and all that. Uh, but just an amazing week. And my friend, I just want to encourage you today that God is really at work. And we, may, we don't always see what he's doing, but he's really at work. Now, I also told you that because I got back really late last night. Uh, and uh, all the sessions of counsel, I was going to skip a few and work on my sermon, but they were all too good. So don't expect much, okay? Uh, just, you know, really. Of course, it may not be any different than any other week. Uh, who knows? All right. But we are in a study of 1 Corinthians, all right? And uh, the reason that Paul wrote this letter to Christians in Corinth was that he wanted them, or he said that we could wise up, that we could get so much wiser than we can by our own human capacities. And so we're going through this book uh, this summer. And I want us to start in this way. If you want to uh, read along in your Bible, you can do that, or also uh, the scripture will be on the uh, screen, and also you can use the version, whatever, whatever. But I hope you'll be reading God's word. But I want to start with this. When someone moves into your house unexpectedly, it uh, changes things. Now, have you ever had that happen? It's all of a sudden someone was moving into your house. Uh, when Don and I uh, were early in our marriage, didn't have children yet, there was a set of grandparents in the church. And uh, they, uh, their mother, or excuse me, their daughter and, uh, had two boys, Chris and Anthony. And she had a lot of issues, a lot of uh, unmet needs in her life. And she really wasn't being a mother at all. The grandparents were taking care of Chris and Anthony. But they couldn't do it either. They were so well up in years. And so... Uh, Chris and Anthony moved into our home. So here we were with no children, and all of a sudden we have a five, a six-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy who had never had any discipline or anything like that. And uh, it changed things, and it changed me. When we did have children, uh, when our boys were young, under 10, one day on a Saturday afternoon, there was the doorbell rang, and we opened it, and it was a young girl uh, in our church, and uh, she was crying. And uh, she had been raped by her brother-in-law with whom she lived. Uh, she came to live with us, <laughs> and uh, it changed things. And it changed me. And that's what we want to talk about. Because, friend, there's somebody that wants to move in to your house, move into your life. Because they want to change you for the absolute better. That person is Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. This is what Jesus says to Christians. He says, here I am. I stand at the door of your heart. He's talking about your life. And I'm knocking. And if anyone, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Friend, Jesus wants to move into your life. Jesus wants to move into your family. Jesus wants to move into your job. And because this was written to a group of Christians in the church, 
Jesus wants to move into your church and see all those things. If, if we let Jesus move into our life, then all those things happen. He, he moves in by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why he ascended back to heaven after his resurrection, because in a body he couldn't be with every believer. He is in every believer through the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's the church. And that's who we are is the body of Christ. Now, I know the church has gotten a lot of bad press. And, and hey, let's be honest, a lot of it's deserved. I mean, we read about abuse, we read about financial dishonesty, sexual immorality, divisiveness. Uh, oh, man, on and on. There are problems that exist in God's church, aren't they? Yes, the church has a lot of flaws. Why? Because it's made up of flawed people, you and me. Are any of us perfect? Absolutely not. But see, friend, it's still the church. It's the body of Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. Now, when I meet a, a, a new neighbor, okay, somebody that you know I want to cultivate a relationship with, someone that I want to get to know, okay, someone that you know I can be one like them. Uh, when I meet them that way, when we're getting acquainted, when we're talking, when we find out about each other, I'm just hoping that they're not going to ask the dreaded question of me, and what do you do for a living? Because when I tell them I'm a pastor, it'll be like, you know, I mean, they'll suddenly apologize for all the curse words that they've used. They'll suddenly think that somehow I'm different, you know, and, and you know, and, and avoid me, okay? Oh, the, the, the pastor down the street, okay? No, no, they're people, and I don't want them to think of me in that way. And so this week, you know, I decided... The next time that somebody asks me that, I'm going to tell them that I work for an international agency. All right? An international agency that has built more hospitals in the world than any other agency. A, a, an agency that has built more schools, that has built more uh, leprosy clinics, that has dug more wells, that has given more relief to people who suffered famine or earthquake or hurricane than any other agency far and away in all time, the church of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to tell them, because it's true, because it's true. And friend, that's the, the agency, that's the family, that's the body of Christ that God calls you into. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and the church in Corinth had major problems. The church was filled with divisions and conflicts, okay? Uh, there was, uh, they were suing each other, all right, taking each other to court. There were sexual sins that even the heathens were shocked at. But Paul didn't give up. Paul had founded this church. But he hadn't given up on them. Why? Because Jesus Christ hasn't given up on his church. He calls it his bride. And he sees all the flaws. He knows all the problems. He knows everything that's in our life. But he loves us. And Jesus, my friend, doesn't want to move out of a church. He doesn't want to move out of a person a Christian who is not following him closely. He wants to move in. He wants to move in. Revelation 3.20. Here I am, Jesus says. I'm standing at the door of your heart. I want to come in. And I want to live with you. I want to be part of your life. I want to be your life. Friend, Jesus wants to move into your life and your family and your job and he wants to move into our church your church and that's what we want to talk about today from first corinthians chapter two and three and again as i explained last week we want to go through the whole book in 12 weeks you know to get the big picture 
Usually we study small passages of Scripture, but then we miss the big picture. So we're going to get in the speedboat. Remember we talked about that this, this uh, last Sunday. That just like, you know, you're on a speedboat and you're skimming the surface. I hope during the week you'll read 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 and you'll dive in. And you'll, you'll get in deep. You'll soak it in, okay? But let's get the big picture today from 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. When the Holy Spirit of Jesus, see, he comes to us. He lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. When he moves in, what, what happens? Number one, we get God's power. Again, Paul founded the church in Corinth. Many people had come to Christ because of Paul. Now, something you ought to know about Paul. He really was a brilliant person. He studied under the most famous, the foremost scholar of his day, a man named Gamaliel. But Paul is going to tell us, as he opens up chapter 2, he's going to testify that his amazing success of leading masses of people to Christ and establishing churches all across Asia, it wasn't because, excuse me, of Europe, it wasn't because of his education. It wasn't because of his intelligence. It wasn't because of his uh, eloquence. It was because of the power of God. It was because of the Holy Spirit in him. So let's read. And so, dear brothers and sisters, when I came to you to tell you about Jesus, I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't come with human wisdom, although he had it. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And the, and the reason was Greek, uh, Corinth was a, a, the center of Greek philosophy. My message and my preaching were not with the wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith wouldn't rest on my intelligence or eloquence or human wisdom, so that your faith would rest on the power of God. See, he, Paul didn't depend on his power. He depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't want people to trust in him, the messenger, Paul wanted to trust in the message of Jesus Christ in him crucified. Because, friend, that message has eternal power for your life. And, and friend, here's the, here's the reality. We all have skills. We all have training. We all have education. We all know things. We all can do things. Friend, our skills give us a little power to do little things that matter for a little while. But when we let the Holy Spirit of Jesus move in, then God does great things that last forever and ever and ever. You will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You let the Holy Spirit of Jesus move in. God, oh friend, let God's Spirit move into your life. Trust God to give you power to do things you can't do by yourself. Things that have eternal value and significance. When we let the Holy Spirit move in, we get God's power. We don't have to live by just your own. Second, when the Holy Spirit moves in, we get God's God's wisdom. We find this in uh, verses 6 to 16. Let's start with 6. We do, Paul says, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time 
began. This message was hidden in, in many ways to the people in Old Testament times. They didn't quite understand the Messiah and, and what would happen when he came. But see, Jesus had come. He had died on a cross. He had been raised. He had descended to heaven. They understood the mystery was uncovered. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, friend, there are two kinds of wisdom. And, and which kind are you going to have? There's the wisdom of man, and there's the wisdom of God. There's what the world says is wise, and there's what God says is wise. Now, now, friend, do you want the wisdom of a finite person? Or do you want the wisdom of an infinite God? Does this finite person, this human, do they know what's going to happen tomorrow? Does this infinite God know? Absolutely. What kind of wisdom do you want? Verse 80, he goes on. He said, now, the rulers of this age, he's talking about the rulers in his day, the emperor, the governors, all that. The rulers of this age, none of them understood it. The message of Jesus and the cross. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of this age, he was talking about the Roman rulers, he was talking about the Jewish rulers who did what? They crucified the Son of God. They, they rejected him. They all rejected him. They killed him. They executed him on a cross. Was that smart? Was that wise to reject the king who's going to rule the eternal kingdom of heaven? course not however verse 9 as it is written what no eye has seen what no ear has heard what no human mind has been able to comprehend those things god has prepared for those who love him these are the things god has revealed to us by his spirit and uh, you've probably heard those verses uh, I, I refer to them frequently, and, and they do, you know, usually they're uh, used to talk about that we simply can't comprehend how awesome uh, heaven's going to be, you know. Uh, Revelation, it says the streets are made of gold. You know what? I don't think they're really made of gold, you know. I just think they're made of something far more valuable and pure and wonderful than that. But that was the, that was the greatest thing that, that John, given this vision of what heaven, that was the greatest thing he could, human words he could use to describe it. We haven't been able to comprehend how great heaven is going to be. And that's true, okay? But look at verse 10. It makes it clear that God is revealing things for our lives right now. It's not just that heaven is far greater than you can comprehend. God's plan being worked out in your life is greater than you can see and comprehend. But what? It's going to unfold, and we get to be a part of it. And friend, God doesn't want you to suffer from making unwise choices and decisions based on your own limited wisdom. He wants to reveal things to you. He wants to give us wisdom right now. And how can we get that? We let the Holy Spirit of Christ move into our lives. He's going to go on and develop that thought. He says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, searches all things, even the deep things of God. Holy Spirit knows everything that God's thinking because the Holy Spirit is God. And I like verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Who knows what a person's really thinking except that person themselves? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, I know Donna pretty well. So well in fact, that I think I always know what she's thinking. I hear you married people laughing. 
The problem is that there are many times, I am totally wrong. I am totally wrong, and Donna tells me so. <laughs> Kindly, lovingly, all right, but she needs to. And the problem is, see, that Donna's a woman and I'm a man. She's from Venus, I'm from Mars, okay? We're on, we're, we're on different planets, all right? So, you know, and we think we've got other people figured out. We know exactly what they're thinking. No, we're not all the time. And, friend, here's the point. We think we've got God all figured out, too. You can comprehend the wisdom and infinitude of God? No. The only one who knows exactly God's thoughts, the only one who knows exactly God's ways is God himself, the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way you can know God's truth, God's wisdom, is to let the Holy Spirit move into your life and live in you so that you can know God's thoughts from us. That's what he says in verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world. The world's going to tell you all kinds of stuff, all kinds of lies, too. Some true, but a lot of lies. But the spirit, the spirit who is from God, when we receive him, we understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the spirit, explaining Spirit realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they're only discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, Holy Spirit within, makes judgment, discernment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. There's a lot there. I hope you'll get into it this week. But let me just hit some high points here. Do you ever have problems and you pray about them? But God doesn't work it out the way you think he should. Of course. Why is that? Because God's ways are higher than your ways. Did you do everything that your three-year-old asked you to do that they thought would be best for them? No, you were much smarter than that. You're much wiser than that. Your ways were better than their ways. God's ways are better than our ways. God, verse 16 tells us that, I, I love verse 16 too. Who's known the mind of the Lord is to instruct him. Do you ever give God advice? I do all the time. You know, God, if you're really smart, you would do this. You know, if you really wanted to work this thing out, this is what you do. I, I, I give God counsel quite frequently, Okay. Who's known the mind of the Lord that we could instruct him? God gives us his Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Not wisdom to know everything from this point on for the rest of our life. It's like, it's like if you're driving to Tampa at night, okay? Now, would your headlights shine all the way to Tampa? No, they would only shine as far as you need to see. And God gives us that sight. Not the whole picture. We wouldn't be able to comprehend it. We'd jump ahead. All those wrong things. But God guides us by his spirit. Now, Verse 14, 15, and, and verse, chapter 1, verse 3. God says there are three kinds of people in the world, all right? And this is important. 
Again, I hope uh, in your discussion group after you talk about this this week, you'll, you'll really think about this. What kind of person am I of these three? Verse 14 we read, there's the person without the spirit of the Lord in their lives. This is someone who hasn't accepted Christ. You don't want to turn your life over to Christ. You don't want to follow him because you're afraid he'll ask you to do something you don't want to do and whatever. And so you haven't accepted Christ. You're curious. You're interested. You're learning. Okay. You're growing. One day you're going to make that decision. Okay. But this is a person who hasn't accepted Christ yet. So, you know, Christ hasn't come in. The Holy Spirit hasn't come in. Verse 15, there's the spiritual person, the person with the Holy Spirit, okay? This is somebody, the Holy Spirit's living in. And that person wants to live by the Spirit and just the, of living for ourselves, all right? Now, chapter 3, verse 1 describes the third person. It's the worldly person. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians in this church, all right? And he's the church in Corinth. He says, I'm sorry, but I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit. Because you're not. I had to address you as worldly. I had to bring up these issues and things because you're worldly. What's he mean by that? means, he says, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk. When I preached to you and I founded this church, he said, I laid out the the basics for you, the bottom line, Jesus Christ crucified, risen, ascended to heaven. I gave you milk, not solid food, not more teaching. You weren't ready for it. Indeed, after years have passed now, you're still not ready. See, they were still on the milk. They hadn't grown. They hadn't applied what they had learned, so therefore they couldn't go on to greater things. And you see, the worldly person, who is this? They have actually asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior. But that's about as far as it got. And you know what? They still follow the crazy advice of the world instead of of the counsel of Jesus Christ to him. See, it's possible to be a Christian, but still living by the world instead of living by the Spirit. Living for the world, living for the wealth or the prestige or the power, the pleasure, whatever, instead of living for the ultimate realities and rewards of God himself. Don't be a worldly Christian. Because you got one foot in this side, one foot in this side, and you know what? They keep getting wider and wider and wider apart. And you're headed for disaster. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in and live by the Spirit. When we let the Holy Spirit move in, we get wisdom. Third, we get fellowship. Now, this is a great one. He says, chapter 3, verse 3, again, we're going through, getting the big picture here. Chapter 3, verse 3, he says, friends, you're still worldly. There's jealousy among you. There's quarreling among you. Doesn't that, doesn't that show you... <laughs> You know, that you're not worldly. Why? Because you don't have fellowship. You're not having fellowship with God, and you're not having fellowship with your fellow believers. There's conflict. When you see another Christian, you think about, oh, I don't like them. Oh, I don't agree with you. Oh, you're wrong. Divisions. God created us for what? For fellowship. What's fellowship? Okay. The world's starting to use that word a lot more. But here's really what it means. It means to be in a right relationship with God. Man, there's, there's no walls between you. You're not perfect. No, 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 no. But there's no walls between you and God. You're honest. You're to him. He talks to you. You want to please him. He blesses you. 
right relationship with God, and right relationship with others. See, you can't be in a right relationship with God and be in a wrong relationship with other people because they affect each other, all right? Fellowship is a right relationship with God and others. Now, were the Christians in Corinth in a right relationship with God and others? No. <laughs> we see this in every, every chapter, all right? Verse 1 said they were still acting like babies. They were infants. They were spiritual babies. What's a baby do? They're selfish. <laughs> they, they can only think about themselves. They can't think about someone else, all right? They just think about themselves and what they want. And that's fine for a baby. It's terrible for an adult, isn't it? How, how, how well do baby adults get along? Not very well. And see, the, Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, they didn't have fellowship. They had fights. They had divisions. Verse 4, one of you says, I follow Paul. He was the founder of the church. Another one says, I follow Apollos. He was the second pastor that came to the church. He said, when you do that, you, you're in these two camps, Aren't you being mere human beings? In other words, people who are still dominated by their own sinful or selfish nature. They're relying on the world's wisdom rather than God's. And so here's this church. It's divided. Half the church said, hey, Pastor Paul, man, he's the man. The other side said, oh, well, you know, but yeah, Pastor Apollos is here now. He's the man. No, no, no. They were fighting with each other. Now, were Paul and Apollos fighting against each other? Were they competing? No, verse 5. Paul says, wait a minute. What's Apollos? What's Paul? Those two guys, me and him, we are only servants. We are only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each of us his task. I planted the seed. Then Apollos came along and he watered it. But it wasn't us. It was God who made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. It's only God who can make it grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose and they'll be rewarded according to their own labor. And what's that one purpose? To be co-workers in God's service. They were not competitors. They were co-workers. Now, as humans, we don't realize how much we compare ourselves with others. How much we feel like, whoa, they're getting more attention than I am. You know, people like them better than me. Like, they're getting credit for what they've done, and I'm not. That's human nature. Got a little bit of, all of us have a little bit of that insecurity in us, but selfishness in us, okay? We don't realize how much we compete. But when we let the Holy Spirit move in, then it's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. When we let the Holy Spirit move in, we have fellowship with each other. We like each other. We don't agree about everything, but we like each other. We know we're brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God. Do our uh, political leaders in Washington, D.C. have fellowship? Would you say they have sweet fellowship right now? Don't you wish that the Republicans and the Democrats would stop fighting each other and start working together for the good of our country? Wouldn't that be wonderful if they had fellowship? And friend, I didn't say that so we can start ragging on our political leaders. We're supposed to pray for them, not criticize them. Why I said that is, don't we sometimes do that in our family? Don't we sometimes do that in our church? We do. Because we are human. 
because we are not perfect, because we need the Holy Spirit in our lives every day, every minute of every day. Why are there often conflicts in churches, often conflicts in churches, instead of communion with God and with each other? That's what happens when we're living for self instead of living by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves into our life, we have fellowship. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they disagree with us. We work together, even if they have different priorities, different gifts. We have fellowship. And number four, when the Holy Spirit moves in, we get rewards. Chapter 3, verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I came to Corinth and I laid the foundation of the wise builder and now someone else is building on it. And each one of you, you're building and you should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, Jesus Christ. You're building on that foundation. Now, if anyone, verse 12, lays on this foundation things like gold and silver and costly stones, things we think are wonderful, but they're earthly things, or wood or hay or straw, their work is going to be analyzed, going to be judged, their work to be shown for what it is because the day, the day that Jesus Christ returns, they just called it the day. Everybody, when they said the day, everybody knew what they were talking about because it was what everybody was looking about. The day Jesus Christ comes back, the day will bring it to light what you're doing. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what you have built survives, you, the builder, will receive a reward. But if it's burned up, all that you've done, you, the builder, you'll suffer loss. Yeah, you, you, you'll still be saved if you've accepted Christ. But you know what? You'll just be like one who had to escape from the flames and you couldn't bring anything out with you. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. Yeah, we'll, we'll be saved but you'll be like one escaping from the flames. And see, that's, that's, the, that's what he was saying to these Christians. That, that's the kind of Christian that's possible for us to be not living by the Spirit, living for self, not doing anything that has eternal value. What happens? All your possessions all your achievements, all your work, all your hobbies, everything about you gets thrown into God's giant bonfire. Why? Because it's impure. It'd pollute heaven. No, no imperfections there. You won't see people in heaven that you help get there. There won't be rewards. Hebrews 9 says, every person is destined to die. I checked, I wanted to see if this was true. I checked the mortality rate. You know what it is? It's 100%. Every person is destined to die. And after that comes what? The judgment. There are two kinds of judgments. There's a judgment for non-believers, for people who have not accepted Christ. And they're not going to heaven. Why? Because God's mean? No. They said, no, I don't want to be part of the kingdom of Christ. That's what heaven is. They wanted to be part of another kingdom. So God's not going to make them go then there'll be Christians who've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
And, they won't, and there's no condemnation. There's no eternal judgment for, for one in Christ. But he's talking about now that our works will be judged, okay? For those who accept Christ and enter heaven, there's going to be an audit. When you fly to another country, uh, you go through customs, don't you? Because there are certain things that you can't take into that kingdom. And friends, the same thing. We can't take earthly things in heaven. I can't take my degrees. I can't take my possessions. I can't take my hobbies. I can't. That's worldly stuff. Okay, It's, it's not bad. It's, not, it's just not eternal. Friend. Do a spiritual inventory now. What, ask yourself, what in my life has eternal value? What am I doing today? What am I going to do this week? It's for God. It, there's going to be a reward because it's for Him. A spiritual inventory. Verse 16, we've got to finish here. Don't you know that you, he's talking to Christians, right? Don't you know that you are God's temple? Now we're getting back to that idea the Holy Spirit wants to move. You are God's temple. God's Spirit lives in you. If you accepted Christ, he sent his Holy Spirit to live with you. He knocked, and you opened the door, and he came in. Okay? You have Holy, the Holy Spirit. Now, if anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. In most religions, God is thought, said, to dwell in some temple, some shrine, some kind of idol, okay? Uh, they take a, uh, an infant God and try to put him in some place, something, okay? The one, you can't put God in a place, in a building, in a box, in an idol, in a shrine. The one true God doesn't live in a temple. He lives in us. He lives in us by the Holy Spirit. He wants to live in your house so that you, you as a family, you, you talk about the Lord because he's right there. <laughs> you talk to him. You don't ignore him. He's there. He wants to live in you. That's who he is. I, I, I said I had an amazing week. Just one thing. Yesterday, uh, we heard from Moise. Moise is from North Africa. You know the religion of North Africa. Uh, great care is, to, is taken to uh, do what we should do uh, to protect them. So that's all I'll tell you about him or what country he's from. He said when he was a child, even as a child, he wanted to know God. And so he was, you know, taught all about God, you know, from the, uh, their holy book and uh, from uh, the imam and so forth. And there's one thing he learned about God, that God required submission and obedience. In fact, that, that was the only thing that he was really focused on. Uh, Islam means submission. That's the whole idea. That's, that's the God. And this nine, ten-year-old boy said, I want a God I can know. And so he, he, but he was very diligent, and he studied uh, Islam. He studied, learned all he could, because he wanted to know this God. And he couldn't come to know him. And someone talked to him about Jesus. And so Moise wanted a Bible. 
and he looked everywhere. He tried to buy one. He tried to find one. He, he couldn't find one in his country. Fi- after six years, finally, someone gave him a Bible. It took him six years. He read that Bible. And he said, this is a God I can know. This is a God who wants me to know him and wants to come in and live in me through the person of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And he accepted Jesus. When he told his parents, they threw him out. He was now 19 years of age. They threw him out of the house. They disowned him. His mother ran out of the house. She pulled her hair out and screaming her denunciation of her son. He was working in the capital city. When he came home, he would bring money. He would buy food. They would take the food and prepare it and eat it, but he couldn't eat with them because he had accepted Jesus Christ. And so he ate outside. He loved his family. He showed them the love of Jesus Christ. After years, both his father and mother and some of his eight and eight uh, brothers and sisters have accepted Jesus. He is pastoring a church in this country where it's illegal to tell others about Christ. They say they have freedom of religion, but if you tell someone else about Christ, you are committing a crime. But he's a pastor, and he's seen hundreds of people come to know Jesus in this city because people want to know God. They want God within. They don't want some formal religion. They don't want a God that just demands you do this, you do this, you do this, but I don't love you. And they're wheezed as the Holy Spirit of Jesus within. Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door of your heart He's wanting to move in. Not for one meal where you say good. Not for just part of the day on Easter or Christmas. He wants to move in and be a permanent resident. He wants to be there with your family because he wants to talk to your family and bless your family and be part of your family and help your family and give them wisdom and power and fellowship and great rewards. That's the God we serve. That's the God who comes in and lives. So my friends, God's knocking at the door of your heart. And I ask you, open the door. We're afraid to open the door. Afraid might what he, what he might do, what he might ask. Open the door. Welcome him in. Permanently. Give him the throne of your heart. Would you bow with me, please? Father, oh, we just praise you. You, God, you are, you are so great. We can't, even, we can't imagine how great you are. We can't conceive of how much you love us. But you want to live within us, Lord. You don't want to be... Uh, an occasional part of our life. You want to be in our life because you want to bless us so much, because you want to give us wisdom and and power and and, and fellowship and love for each other and, and love for people who need to know you. Oh, God, do this right now. And, and friend, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's all stand together, please. And I'm, I'm just going to ask you to do this. I'm not going to make you. But I'm just going to ask you to put your hands right in front of your heart, right in front of your chest, both of them. And you know what? Jesus is knocking. Jesus is knocking. You see, if somebody knocks on your door and you want, you want to go let them in, what do you have to do? You have to reach out your hand open that door. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you open up the door of your heart, the door of your life, the door of your family, the door of your church? 
welcome Jesus. Uh, welcome the Holy Spirit. Because yeah. that's what we need. Would you welcome him? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, welcome him into your life, into everything about your life, now and forever and ever. Would you do that? And would you sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God comes into our heart by the Holy Spirit of Jesus and he lives in us and, and it, it changes our life and, and, and we're brothers and sisters and God comes into the, the family of God. He comes into our church and that changes our church and, and, Lord, and we want to reach people for Jesus and we want to live for Jesus and, and then the Holy Spirit of God is just ruling and reigning and we get God's wisdom. We get God's power, we get God's fellowship, and we get God's rewards. Father, today, I know, I know many of us, we have opened that door today. And, and Lord, if somebody hasn't opened the door today, you are going to keep knocking because you love them too much to let them go. But God, come in. God, come into our lives so that people see Jesus in us by the things we do, by the things we say, by how we live. God, we want the Holy Spirit of Jesus to move in. And you will. In Jesus' name, amen.